Hey, listen, if this is your first Sunday uh, at MCC, really glad that you're here. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, We especially, listen, especially those of you who are dads, uh, our intent this morning uh, as we put together our time of worship is to uh, worship God by honoring you. That was our intent, to be able to do that. And so as a way of saying thank you for sharing today with us, dads, we have a gift for you out in the lobby are these certificates for a donut at Bear Creek Donuts in Miamisburg. Yeah, yeah, so you've been there. Uh, So if you've never been there, man, are your taste buds in for a treat. Uh, And your sugar level... So uh, you you will enjoy it. So I hope that you please accept that as a gift from us. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, today. Um, hey, listen, I read about a dad who at his workplace, he's a dad of five. He won a toy. There's this raffle and he won this toy, one toy, five children. So he's trying to figure out how to, who was going to get to have it. And uh, he decided to ask him some questions. So he gathered the kids together. and He said, all right, who's the most obedient? Uh, 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 who never talks back to mom? Who does everything that she says? And all five in unison said, you play with it, dad. Uh, (laughs) So over the last few weeks, if you've not been with us, we have been looking at the king and his kingdom. And what we've been doing is looking at Jesus's interaction with people to see just what is it that the king values in his kingdom. And so today what we're going to see is uh, we're going to see Jesus interact with the father and his son to see what it is that Jesus values when it comes to dads in his kingdom. So if you have your Bible with you, it's Mark chapter 9. And if you're using a Bible that looks like this, it's page 706. Or uh, if you have a smart device with you, uh, the Bible app, uh, if you go to the events page, actually you can look up Mark 9 uh, in the Bible, uh, or you can go to the events page on the, the U version of the Bible and You'll find us at the top of the page there, Uh, and all the notes for this morning are there, uh, similar to what they are here, except the blanks are filled in online. So if you like a surprise, don't don't find them there. All right, so uh, Bible app, Mark 9, we're going to begin in verse 14. So check this out. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law teachers of the law were arguing with them. Now, we have to stop for a moment because obviously we have, we're walking right into the middle of something that's going on because we need to find out who they are and what's happening here because, we're, again, we're in the middle of our story. So if you have your Bible open or if you have your smart device on in Mark chapter 9, just look at the top of that. Jesus has taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they've gone to the top of a high mountain. And then verses 2 to 13, which precede ours, tell us what happened on top of that that mountain, Jesus is transfigured before their very eyes. Now that word transfigured means something about Jesus changed, at least something, maybe several things. Verse three says that one of the things that happened was his clothing became dazzling white, but not only did his appearance change, there were two people who had been gone for hundreds of years. Moses, who had died hundreds of years before Uh, appeared there with Jesus. And Elijah, who never died, right? He's walking and God just took him to heaven. He appears uh, with Jesus as well. By the way, just a shameless Sunday morning plug, if I can right here, do a commercial um, for myself. Um, In July, we're beginning a series on the life of Elijah. And so if you've always wondered, who is this guy and what did God do through him? Or you know what he did, you know, how did God prepare him to have those kind of things done? Listen, 
we're going to be talking about that in July, so I hope that you'll join us. But Moses and Elijah, they appear to Jesus on top of this mountain, and they're just having this conversation. And if that wasn't enough, a voice comes out of a cloud. It's God's voice coming out of the cloud and talks to them. I don't know if you can imagine what this moment on top of this mountain must have been like. Even for Jesus, I would think, of all the things that he had seen in his earthly ministry here, this had to be one of those incredible moments in his life. So much so that if you're looking at the verses, what you see is Peter is watching all this. and He goes, we've got to build houses up here. We'll just build three houses up here and we'll all just live up here um, forever. And, and so I, I would just think, I mean, it's one of those moments that you just, you never forget. Listen, can you remember a spiritual experience? We, we get to experience God every day, right? But if you, do you ever had one of those moments where just something special, I mean, it just clicks. Some, there's something more about that moment and you just never forget it for the rest of your life. That's what this moment was for them. But they're coming down the mountain and they see that this large crowd has got. So when we look at this, when they came to the other disciples, we're talking about Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They're coming down the mountain and they see the other followers, the nine disciples, and the teachers of the law are arguing with them. So verse 15 says, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. And he looked at them and he said, what are you arguing with them about? And a man in the crowd is the one who answered. He said, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid, which sounds kind of like someone having a seizure, right? Um, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Whoa, whoa. Now we've got the big picture. Here's what's going on. This man brings his son to Jesus to be healed. But Jesus isn't there. He's not where he expects to find him with all the other disciples because Jesus is up on this mountain with Peter, James, and John, right? So he asked Jesus' disciples, this dad asked the disciples to exercise this demon. And they try, but obviously they cannot do it. And the religious leaders see this as an opportunity to pounce on them. I mean, Jesus isn't there. And they've been trying to make Jesus look bad in front of the people. So with Jesus gone, if they can just make his followers look bad in front of the crowds of people, by proxy, Jesus will look bad uh, as well. What an opportunity. Jesus isn't here. Hey, look, Peter isn't here either. And I don't know what you know about Peter. Peter's one of those guys, gets into a fight. Don't confuse him with the facts. He's there to win. And that's that, you know. So you don't want to argue with him. And James and John aren't there. The Bible tells us they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, kind of like a first century biker gang, you know, uh, they're going to come out, break a bottle and slice you. You don't want to fight with those guys, you know, uh, but none of they're looking around. It's like none of them are here. It's like the bullies in the neighborhood have seen the younger brothers, the little brothers, and, and, and they're getting ready. They're just picking on them. And then the big brother shows up. And not only does the big brother come, but he brings his three friends with him. And the Bible says that the crowd was overwhelmed with wonder when Jesus shows up. My guess is the nine probably sighed, you know, you know, relief. And the religious leaders, if you notice, if, if your Bible's open, they don't even say anything. Jesus says, what are you arguing with him about? And they're so stunned, they don't even talk. But this dad says, I asked your disciples to heal my son, but they couldn't do it. Jesus looks at him and says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
Now, keep in mind where he's just been. I mean, he's been on a literal mountaintop experience, this intense spiritual moment. And he comes down to this. This is what's happening in front of him. And he says, bring the boy to me. So they brought, uh, so they brought the son. Uh, and when the spirit saw Jesus, the, the evil spirit inside of the boy, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. I don't know if you can imagine the reaction of the crowd and the apostles, because if you've not been trained in, uh, uh, with seizures, they can be frightening. They can be terribly frightening. And I wonder if maybe the religious leaders heart skipped a beat. Maybe there's hope after all. We can still, you know, capture this. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And his dad said, he's been like that since childhood. This demon has sometimes uh, thrown him into fire or water to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, are you asking me if I, are, are you wondering if I can? Everything is possible, right, for the one who believes. The man is questioning Jesus' ability to solve this problem, partly, probably, because no one else has been able to help him so far. I mean, remember, his boy was little when this first started happening. No one's been able to help him. But I think, more to the moment, it's the inability of the apostles. He brought them to this guy's followers. So let me highlight this part of the story just for a moment on your notes. If you'll note this, please. The father doubted Jesus' ability because of Jesus' followers. This father's looking at Jesus, and he begins to question whether Jesus can do anything because of Jesus' followers, which, by the way, still happens today. The world doubts God's ability to handle their problems because of our inability to handle their problems. The world today does what this father did then. They judge God by his people. They judge his strength by our strength. They judge his capability to answer the tough questions by our ability to answer tough questions or face tough issues, to love and accept sinful people the way Jesus loves and accepts sinful people, right? They are judging Jesus's ability to do all of those things by watching how we do those things or not do those things. They learn an awful lot more about God by reading us than they do the Bible. Quite frankly, they're not reading the Bible, but they are reading us and they're watching us. And maybe that doesn't seem fair to some of us, but it is why we're here. It's why the church is here. And listen, for some, it's easily understood. Listen, some people go to church. It's just the thing they do. And and so it's a place they go once a week. But for those of us who are following Jesus, This is what's tough to swallow. Sometimes we let him down. Just like the nine did that day. Not because we want to. Not because we aren't trying. And in a moment, we're going to see why they did let him down. But the question isn't, can we represent God to the world? The question is, how will we represent God to the world? Because we do represent God to the world. So it's not a matter of can we? It's how are we going to? This father questions whether Jesus has the ability to heal his son. Jesus knows that God can heal this boy. And so he turns this question of unbelief back on the father. And immediately, if you look at verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. I believe. Help me overcome my disbelief. And in verses 25 to 28, Jesus heals the boy. And then when he's alone with the apostles, they ask him, why couldn't, why couldn't we do that? 
They'd done it before. If you read through the gospel, they've already done this before. This isn't something new. This isn't something untried. They've done this before. Why couldn't we do it now? And in verse 29, Jesus answers them, this kind can only come out by prayer. Because to be given a gift by God is not enough. You have to remain in contact with him so that it doesn't wither and die. Listen, all of us, everyone in this room has been gifted by God, but only those who rely on God's strength are going to be able to utilize that gift in his service. That's what these verses are all about. That's the message of this text. It's not about fathers, right? It is about the disciples and why they couldn't cast out this demon. But in the midst of all that, I do think we see some, we see what the king values in kingdom dads. And so dads, I just want to say this to you right up front as we get ready to shoot through these. This morning is not about making you feel guilty. There are enough people out there blasting dads and tearing us down. That is not what this is about. This morning, I hope, will give you some encouragement and some guidance and some uh, direction and some comfort and maybe be some help. So here we go. Here's what the king is looking for in kingdom dads. He's looking for dads who are in the picture. What I want you to notice just right off the bat is this story actually has a dad in it. Not all stories around us today have a dad in them, right? But this story does. I like this picture of Russell Davis. I found this. This is him and his five-year-old son, Russell II. It was taken April 8th, uh, just a couple of months ago. They're hanging messages about what they love about each other on the hero wall. It was at an event called the All Pro Dad. uh, And fathers and kids experienced uh, at the University of Florida. It was at the indoor practice facility in Gainesville. It was an experience for dads to spend time with their kids and to learn tips and actions about how to be better fathers in their lives. So that's what the whole event was about. It was the brainchild of Mark Merrill, who was a University of Florida graduate uh, more than 20 years ago, began to look for ways to promote fatherhood because this is what he knew about dads. According to national studies, children without active fathers in their lives are twice as likely to drop out of high school and seven times more susceptible to teen pregnancy. So what I'm telling you, dads... (laughs) Not just from scripture, but if you look at the culture around us, it's important that we are there, that we're actually present. Not just in attendance. I don't mean we just live in the same house, but that we're actually there. When Mother Teresa received her Nobel Peace Prize, she was asked, what can we do to promote world peace? She said, go home and love your family. It's incredible. Sometimes we spell love T-I-M-E. That's all it is. It's just, it is a matter of spending time with each other. I read about a four-year-old who was really smart, and he developed this affection for the cat in the hat, and so he wanted his dad to read it to him every night. And I don't know if you've been in that situation or not. I mean, the first time you read it, it's great. The second time, you're still snuggled up to it. The 20th time, the 30th time, you know. So this dad in particular, worn out from a day at the office, he's trying to be a good dad to three kids. So he bought his son one of those books that reads itself. You know what I'm talking about? And, and uh, so he wouldn't have to read that book every night for the rest of his life. Which, and this worked for a few times because his son was fascinated. He, he found out the voices that came out of that book were different for the characters, you know. And, he, and, and so he could make this story tell itself. And it worked great for a while. Then one evening he came to his dad and handed him the book and said, I'd like you to read me the cat in the hat. And he said, Billy, I'm surprised at you. You know how to start that book. You know how to get it going. He goes, I know, but I can't sit on its lap. So dads, no matter what your marital status is right now, your role in the life of your children 
cannot be underestimated. The kingdom is counting on you to be involved. Look at verse 18. I want you to pick this up as well. The dad knew what his child was going through. That's, that's the next blank. That this, this dad knew uh, what his child was going through. A lot of fathers don't even know what grade their child is in or who their teacher is or who their friends are. They don't even know where their kids are some nights. But this dad knew his son. A godly father understands his children. Now, I don't know if you've discovered what I've discovered, but, but sometimes I can be someplace without actually being there. You ever discovered that about yourself? I know there have been times I've done that at home. There's something on my mind. I'm thinking about something or I'm reading something or I'm, or I'm watching a movie. And the whole house could come down around me, right? I mean, I'm watching Bruce Willis on the screen and my house is exploding. And, and I don't even know what's going on. I don't know anything about it until the movie's over. You know, I've done, I know I've done that with Sandy. I know I've done it with my kids. I will say I've never done it with my granddaughter. Uh, chalk one up. Uh, Taking time to be with them, not just there, not just present, but with them. Taking time not just to give advice, not just to dole out punishment, to actually be present and to listen. Jesus uh, said this in Matthew 16, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Let me paraphrase that. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their own children? A friend of mine has a saying on his wall that, a hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, won't matter what sort of house I lived in or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. Dads, that is us looking forward. All right, verse 22, uh, we find something else about this dad. This father describes the problem. And then he says, if your Bible's open, notice what he says. He says, can you help us? Can you help us? Because he was making his children's problem his problem, right? Kingdom dads, make, we make our children's problem our problem. And I don't know if that's your attitude or not. Uh, I, I know that if your child was in the hospital, listen, if you got the call, you're at work and you're 20 miles away and the ambulance is going five miles, but you get the call that your child's being taken to the hospital, you're beating the ambulance there. I know that. We're great at the big stuff. I'm asking about the little stuff. Are there problems in school? Your problems. When they want to learn how to play a sport, are you, is that, is that like a burden for you so you can help them? You want to help them learn that sport. I heard about a woman who was telling her friend, they were watching her six-year-old nephew playing his first ball game. And this little guy went up to bat and he connected on the second pitch, just his second swing, man. He connected with this thing, but, and it should have been a double. I mean, it, he hit this and it was going to be a double, uh, but evidently he either hadn't been coached on what to do next or in the moment, he kind of got caught up and forgot because instead of going to first base, he took off for pitcher's mount and he tackled the pitcher. Um, <laughs> then he turned around with a big grin and gave a thumbs up to his dad who was up in the stands. And the lady goes, oh, my goodness, what did his dad do? And she said, like any proud parent, he stood up and clapped for his son. <laughs> you know, here's what I'm wondering. Is that you? Because we've all seen dads in the bleachers who were yelling and screaming at their kid out on the ball field. I can tell you all kinds of stories of fathers who have belittled their children in the midst of a sporting event. Are you with your kid thick and thin? Are their problems your problems? That's what we're talking about. Verse 24, I think it's safe to say that Jesus was not the first option this father had tried, right? 
He'd been, this, his kid had been having this problem since he was little. For certain, he had been to doctors to try to figure this out. It would almost seem as if Jesus was this father's last resort. But what I want you to notice is he did end up at Jesus, which is what counts. Because kingdom dads go to Jesus. We all end up there. Not just in bad times, but we end up there in good times as well. Greg Johnson, Mike Yorkie in their book, Faithful Parents, uh, Faithful Kids, compiled hundreds of interviews with Christian ad- adults who were reared in Christian homes. And when they were, they asked these now adults what their parents did when they were younger that helped them see Jesus. And one of them said, when my dad would pray with me at bedtime, he's always, he would always ask God to help him be a better dad. That showed me he wasn't perfect and really wanted God's hand in his life. One of the people said, we always had family devotions together. That impacted them. One said, I often seen my mom and dad up early on their knees. This evoked a great amount of love from me for them. I knew they were praying for their children. Are you getting your kids to Jesus? Do they see you going to Jesus? Listen, did you know that nowhere in the Bible are moms given the responsibility to train up a child in the ways of the Lord? I think that's interesting. It's always us dads. I'm not saying that moms shouldn't. I'm just saying that when there's a command, it's always to the dads, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Dads, we are the plan. We are God's plan for getting him to our kids. We need to accept that responsibility. Listen, there's a poem. It's decades old. Man, I've held on to this thing forever. Because every time I read it, it kind of gets me. It reminds me. It goes like this. I watched him playing around my door, my little neighbor's boy of four. And I wondered why a boy would choose to wear his dad's old worn out shoes. I saw him try with all his might to make the laces snug and tight. I smiled to see him walk and then he'd step right out of those shoes again. I heard him say his voice so glad. I want to be just like my dad. I hope his dad, his steps would choose, save for his son to wear his shoes. And then a shout, a cry of joy, a hello, dad, and a hiya, boy. And they walked along in measured stride, each face aglow with love and pride. What have you done today, my dad? I tried to wear your old shoes, dad. They're big, but when I'm a man, I'll wear your shoes. I know I can. And they stopped and stood there hand in hand. He saw his son's tracks in the sand. And his words of prayer came back to me. Lord, let my steps lead him to thee. That's what this is about, dads. (laughs) Because what we say doesn't carry nearly the weight of what we do. And our kids are watching us. They want to know what it means to be a man of God. They want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what they learn in Sunday school is important. What they get in youth group is important. What they get at camp is important. But what they see in us is what will carry the day. Annie Ortland said this. this is at the bottom of your notes. I want you to take this home with you. Parents, you and I are from a different world. And our responsibility is to prepare our children for a world where we cannot go, not so that they'll be rich, not so that they'll be famous or happy, but so they will know the Lord. That's, that's what we're called to. Listen, why don't we go to him in prayer. God, thank you for the responsibility. Thank you for the opportunity 
to be those who carry your name into the lives of our children. And so, God, we pray that you will use us, especially those of us who are fathers in the room. God, use us to help our kids, to help the kids around us see who you are. Thank you for letting us wear your name. But even more, thank you for letting us bear your image. God, we pray that we will do a good job of bringing our kids and the kids around us to your feet. And we pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen.